Juan, how you doing, man? Good, good. Good. Yeah. Last one of the day. Thanks for sticking around, everybody. I I think I my children are in this in the audience. So how you doing, little girls? Uh, so thanks for sticking around. I'm excited to talk about this category because one. I don't oftentimes get to be up here and not that I'm like seeking the glory or anything, but I really oftentimes don't have much to say. Mm-hmm. We have the real experts here at, at FreightWaves that'll host these these events and you know, I kinda like to be out of the limelight. But this this is a little different one. Like with what you're doing with grip shipping and the perishable supply chain, I that's an area where I do have some experience. Uh and we've we've talked about that before, but I, I thought it was so interesting to hear a little bit about your story because we didn't used to ship anything via, you know, at least for an, on a direct-to-consumer basis uh, it, over in the mail, in par- over parcel, in the LTL like that. But you've really, your career has tracked that whole life cycle over the past decade, starting at ButcherBox and into, and into grip shipping. Do you want to talk a little bit about like, kind of how the, what your story looks like and how, how you made it here in the end? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, first off, someone at lunch told me, uh, you know, wish me luck because I was going to be the last thing standing between all of you and beards. But, uh, you know, that's fine. I like a challenge, so I'll take it. Let's do this. Um, so, you know, when, when, when a butcher box, so for those of you who don't know, you know, bootstrap company, you know, company that got to a very significant scale in size for the last decade. And for us, we didn't really have a lot of money in the bank to play the game of, hey, we're going to send out, you know, five, six, seven boxes and we'll make money at some point. You know, that was not the game you were playing. And, you know, you come from the industry. So, you know, a lot of companies were, you know, that's, that's the financial model that, that they were playing with all the uh, financial backing. But, you know, for us, we really had to make money on box one. That was always the way that we were operating. But for that, you know, that means that you need to get very complex when it comes to the logistics and shipping strategies that you're implementing. And how are you backing that up with all the data, the modeling, and then, you know, all the software engineer that you need to support that. So for us as a company, you know, we got very complex, very fast when trying to solve for that problem. But for me personally, as head of the logistics department, I always had a question in the back of my mind of, hey, why are we spending millions of dollars internally to solve this when we should just be plugging into something that solved this for us? Because as a company, you're much better off, you know, spending the resources where it matters the most for you as a brand and, and your consumers, which is in the ButcherBox specific case, you know, it's a meat company, it's a meat brand. So, you know, those resources are much better, you know, well spent into the marketing department, into sourcing, into finding the best possible product into the front end of that website to make sure that you're increasing your conversion rates. But to be able to do that, you need the back end. And the back end, you know, if you can just plug into something that makes that work for you, um, I think that's, you know, life-changing for a lot of these uh, startups or companies that ship perishables in the mail. At the same time, if you look at consumer trends for the last decade in this specific industry, when we first started and when we were in the industry, I played it as well, you know, to begin with, it was an uphill battle for people to understand that they can now buy something in the mail and it arrives to them cold or refrigerated or frozen. You know, it was not, it was not common knowledge before. And now it is. Now the consumer behavior has changed and they know that they can buy something and get it delivered to their house frozen or refrigerated. That means that they can get, you know, anything from anywhere. You know, this is a funny example, but my mom's favorite cake is made in New York City. She's going to visit me in Miami in the next couple of weeks. And guess what I'm doing for her? I'm buying the cake. 
and it gets delivered frozen to my house, uh, which, you know, now all of you know that I know that and consumer behavior has changed. So for us at ButcherBox, you know, it was like, hey, how are we solving this? And then for me personally, is why are we spending millions of dollars trying to solve for this internally? So that's what just led me to step down from my role and then start Grip, which is that solution that we always wished we had when starting ButcherBox and then through scale as well. I think the evolution, too, of shipping perishable goods has been pretty interesting in that, like, when we first started at Plated, it was everything, you know, went into a box and you put as much possible ice as you could and as much possible insulation as you could. And you just put it into FedEx's hands and said, all right, it will show up because, you know, it's FedEx. Let's, you know, we can trust them. Like, but, you know, we... Over time, as we kind of built complexity uh, into the business, we realized, oh, we probably shouldn't do it that way anymore. So, so talk about some, some of that, like, as you start to go from the full outsourcing model and, and like, to the, uh, you know, twisting and turning the dials and uh, adjusting, like, how do uh, direct-to-consumer companies inject other modes of transportation or balance the kind of the the different elements of, of putting a box together? So the the highest level concept of that is how do I move from a static network into a dynamic network? And what that means is what it's every single one of the variables that I can change dynamically so that I am increasing the probability of success when I send a box to my to my customer. So what I, what I mean by this is you can think about a static decision-making model for sending a direct-to-consumer perishable box as, hey, every time I'm going to ship a box to California, it's going to come from this facility, it's going to go out with this liner, with this box on this day of the week, and with, let's say, 10 pounds of dry ice or X amount of refrigeration. That's a static decision-making. It has evolved now with the technology and all the data flow and systems that we have in place to make it completely dynamic which is, hey, here are the variables that I can change. Here are the models that I'm playing with. And how am I changing this to, one, make sure I'm taking care of the customer from point A to point B, and two, make sure that I'm doing money. I'm making money while I'm doing this. Because, you know, margins are, you know, as you know from the industry, are not the best. You know, you're not speaking about, you know, SaaS or, or software margins. You're speaking about, you know, 5%, 10% margins, uh, if even when it comes to shipping direct to consumers online. So, you know, it's about, hey, how do I take those variables and how do I make this dynamic so that one, I'm spending a premium where I have to take care of my customer, but then I'm also taking cost out of the equation so that then I have a positive impact to my bottom line. And then it goes both ways, right? Because if you don't take care of the customer, then at the end of the day, you already paid to acquire the customer through your marketing channel. And then they're opening a box, something perishable, Quite often it is either something you're going to feed your family with or something you're going to have for a party that you want delivered or something like flowers. And you don't want to mess up with flower delivery. So at that point is, how do I make sure I increase probability of success by adding the proper refrigerant, by making sure I'm shipping with the right insulation, the right time of the day, the proper carrier, the proper origin point? And how do I combine all these things to increase probability of success, take care of the customer where I have to increase lifetime value for my customer, but then, hey, you know, it's minus five degrees in Chicago, the carrier is performing at 99.5% on time delivery, and I see no complaints from my customers. I can take insulation out, I 
maybe I can afford not shipping it with a premium service and then I can take refrigerant out. And that's where you make your margin, taking care of the customer and then cutting costs where you can. You know, one thing we always notice too, at least shipping meal kits, and I'm sure you heard this complaint too, the amount of packaging, insulation, you know, box waste that each customer has. Like, sure, sure, there's an opportunity too whenever you've got that to, you know, that negative five degree temperature in Chicago, which thankfully it's 80 degrees here in Chattanooga today. Uh, the opportunity to just kind of pull out some of those costs, but in a way that actually benefits the customer and that, you know, the waste isn't quite there anymore. Totally. I mean, and, and I think that even worse than that, the biggest side of that waste comes from when you're not paying the premium to get to the customer, when you could have known that it's a problem that could have been prevented with the right data and right decision-making. So I'll give you all an example. You know, if you're shipping a box to California and you know that the, that lane is going to be impacted by a wildfire in the summer, you know, if you know that beforehand, you can do two things. One is, hey, you're shipping that, before shipping that box, you can tell the customer, hey, I noticed that this lane is going to be impacted by a wildfire. We can, you know, hold your box or ship into a different location or provide the customer with solutions. On the other end, if you already shipped that box and you didn't notice and you know that you're going to have waste while getting to that customer, then you can call the customer and give them a heads up. At that point, you're basically taking what would have been a bad experience, flipping it on its head and making it a very good experience for your customer because they know that you're taking care of them. So I think that's where the biggest part of the waste comes from. You know, when you're shipping a meal kit that has hundreds of dollars worth of food inside, but you're not necessarily being proactive about, hey, this box could be impacted by a wildfire, which means that it has a 15% chance of getting there successfully. Why am I even shipping it? Um, so, you know, w when you have the data and you play it in your favor to then benefit the customer, I think that's the biggest impact that you can have. So do you think that over time, like, you know, this industry, shipping perishables, kind of started with like fresh like produce and vegetables and like frozen meat and like you guys parent you know you you drove the whole frozen meat uh delivery like from the cradle to all you know and that's a, still a successful business going but like we've seen a lot more introduction of frozen foods that are being shipped uh through the mail through parcel what or is that easier to do or is that harder to do given that it needs to stay frozen so Frozen is generally easier than fresh because fresh you have to stay in within a very particular range of temperature and then inventory management is much more complex. So when you add those two variables, uh, it's more complex. In the frozen side, you know, you have to stay under 32 degrees. You know, most of the frozen inventory is stored much more, you know, colder than that, you know, at minus five or minus 10. But uh, you're shipping with dry ice. The dry ice, the temperature of block dry ice is, you know, minus 100 degrees. Um, and, and when you do that, you have a much bigger range of temperature that you can keep the product at. Now, you don't want to go too cold because at that point you can be, you know, damaging the, the packaging of the product itself when you get too cold and the plastic uh, specifically. But you still have a much wider range. And then, you know, for growing companies, inventory management is just so much easier with the frozen because you can keep it for longer fresh you know you have lettuce for a few days and if you don't use it it goes bad so right. you have to be very very careful in how you're managing that inventory and doing demand planning for your sites you know the downside of some of these uh you know missing a delivery you know for the the fire example that you provided but like 
just kind of messing up as a company, you know, think of thinking that through you, you know, you're having a bad experience, which itself is a churn inducing event for most customers. But then you, you know, the company I worked for was like, oh, we can get them a new box. Like we get it, you know, this was supposed to be delivered on Tuesday. Let's get it there on Thursday. We'll overnight it. We'll pay the extra. You end up, you know, underwater on that, that box by negative 100% margins, like usually minimum. Like there's a whole different way to, to, to be thinking about that when you're being proactive. So looking forward, Juan, like customer, you've talked about customer preferences changing. Like how do we see that like impact? Like, do you think that changes your modes of transportation that you're going to start using? Do you think, how does that impact grip shipping? So I think the biggest impact comes from being able to understand what are the different touch points of the supply chain that you can change dynamically. And then taking the customer, the end customer's feedback and closing that loop and bringing that feedback to the forefront of the equation. So that if you already know that you're messing up box by sending them X way, you need to be as fast as you can to take that information, bringing it to the forefront of the cycle and then react very fast. Because if you don't, then that's where, you know, what you're saying happens, which is, hey, I need to reship a box, which cost a bunch of money and then you most likely end up losing that customer. So for us as a company, uh, what we're most focused on is how do we take every single touch point of that equation so that we're making better decisions to reduce waste and provide a better customer experience. As an example, you know, when the box, when, when the box, the fulfillment process is finished, box gets packed, added to a pallet, that pallet to a truck, and then that truck gets canned out out of the dock. And then how much time does it go from when that box is scanned out of the dock into when it's delivered into the final customer? So final mile carriers usually work with you know the same routes and they're usually hitting the same zip codes at the same time of the day. So how are you taking that and planning for how much refrigerant are you planning to add to the box? And then, hey, is that a business address or is that a residential address? So is someone going to be home to receive that box or no? Right. So how are you taking all the data and then bringing it to the forefront so that you can make better decisions to then, you know, service that customer better? So for us is how do we use all the data traceability throughout the journey to make better decisions, improve margins, and improve lifetime value of the customer? Awesome. Well, hey, Juan, thank you so much for coming up here, talking to us. We're fortunately out of time, but fortunately for us, it's it's beer 30 here at, uh, <laughs> in Freight Alley. So thanks, everybody, for joining us and uh, look forward to seeing you out there tonight. Thank you. Thanks. Right, man.